Hello and welcome to the Underwater Sunshine Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Duritz. I'm here with my friend. James Campion. My friend. How are you, sir? James Campion. Uh, I'm good, I'm good. I have, before we begin, I do have one thing I wanted to bring up. I saw, I know how much you can't stand rock and roll movies, so I'm not going to bring certain ones. But I saw Bohemian Rhapsody on Friday. Oh, how was that? Okay. Perfectly fine. I thought that this kid, Malik, Remy Malik, did a yeoman's job. It's a tortoise force. He, he totally inhabits Freddie Mercury. However, this is the kind of geek thing that this show is about, so I had to mention it. So I'm watching this thing, right? And in the very, fir- the very beginning, the first tour, 1973, Queen comes out to her first record, and they go on tour of America. This is like the – you see them for the first time on the stage. And they're playing Fat Bottom Girls. Why? Why would they do? Why would the filmmakers? Why would Brian May and Roger Taylor allow that? That and what year is that supposed to be? It was supposed to be seventy three. Their first tour of America, and they're playing a song from nineteen seventy eight jazz, and not like a deep cut, a, a big hit from that that year, nineteen seventy eight. Then, then, excuse me. Later on, nineteen eighty, he's got the mustache and the short hair from from when they did the game, and they're writing, um, "We will rock you." That's on News of the World in 1977. I was just, I was going crazy in my seat. My wife's like, you're ruining this for me. <laughs> but I'm like, you, gotta, you can't do that, man. There are people out here who know. What is the point of putting fat bottom? Look, I, I mean, I think you can have little inconsistencies, but I don't think you put music from a band's like 12th album when they're touring on their first, first album. album. That's the only thing. That's my big complaint. They did a fantastic job. The story is a little slow at times, and, and, and there's different things. Whatever. I'm not talking about a film. I'm, this is purely from underwater sunshine geekdom. You gotta. You can't. Not, you can't do it. You cannot have them playing Fat Bottom Girls while his hair is long and he's in his flowing robes. I mean, come on. Play, yeah, that's keep yourself up. alive, or or Killer Queen, which they do do. And you know what I oh, thought? Yeah, was, Killer Queen's a perfectly good call for that moment. Ah, but you know what was great. And this reminded me of you. I'll never forget you telling me this, and uh, you know this will uh, hopefully be in the book. We were, I'm working on it now, and it was fresh in my head. But I remember you telling me that you had uh, reservations that eventually kept you from playing Top of the Pops because you wouldn't lip sync. They had the same thing. It's in the film. He's like, I, I, why are we lip syncing? We're a great live band. Queen's about playing live. And they're like, well, you can't be on this. And then they cut, and they, they, they ended up lip syncing because that's what you do on Top of the Pops. But... It, so that was kind of cool. And they recreate the Live Aid show. Which was awesome. Brilliant. And it's one of the great performances in the history of rock and roll. And it's funny because at that time I was in a band. What was I, 24 when I, when I came out? 22? 22. It was the summer of 85, right? So I'm going to be 23 in September. And I remember we all were – I mean all of us, guys in the band, other bands, we would go and get together. And it was like all day from Wembley Stadium in London and Philly and – Queen just blew it up. And people don't realize, and they do depict this in the film, Queen had not played together for like two or three years because he had done a couple of solo albums and he was living in Munich and he was getting deep into the, into the uh, Munich underground uh, and you know doing a lot of drugs and just sort of out of it, which they depict in the film. It's the same thing in all these biopics. But they get back together and they may had like maybe a week and a half of rehearsals and they played that show and they blew that freaking play in front of billion people and it's one of the great performances in history of rock and they did a great job in that account my only complaint is that they're playing songs from other albums at different times that drives me nuts yeah i mean you don't need rehearsals 
You know, <laughs> not when you've been playing together for when that you're long. Queen. You need a, a rehearsal or two, but you don't need a ton of rehearsals. I mean, that to me, yeah, I understand that because you don't actually need that. You can you can go play. It's still a great story, though. They yeah, haven't yeah, played yeah. in a couple of years, and now they have to play with all these. I mean, everybody played that damn thing, and it was. And it's so funny because when it's happening in 1985, you're thinking, "Nah, this isn't." seminal like Woodstock and it just seems very corporate and I know it was for a good cause but I eh. but then you think back and it's like one of the biggest music moments of the 1980s oh well to me I'm just judging from the movies Woodstock was a shitty movie yeah it's not it's not a great movie Monterey Pop is one thing but Woodstock's not and I remember Live Aid it was awesome yeah it was I think first band on stage first day status quo Opens Ooh, live eight. Nice. Incredible. Wow, good um, memory. I think I remember that. Maybe I got that wrong. Thompson Twins played a Madonna. That was the first time I saw Madonna play live without, you know, being canned, like on the MTV Music Awards. Who else? Uh, oh, huge. You have the Who, Tom Pe- I mean, it was... If anybody who... Anybody, that's one of those things where a great job by Bob Geldof. He got everybody to show up for that thing. But in the midst of all of it, in the middle of the afternoon, Queen crushes. 20 minutes, and the film ends with the entire set. The entire set. They recreate the entire set. And this is where this kid Malik does an amazing job as, as uh, Freddie Mercury. He's got all the moves down. He's got the, and it's just it's very moving at the end. Uh, but, the, but the chronological musical aspect of this was so off that when they were playing these songs not in the eras, then he's, like in a, he's in a limo and he's on his way to MTV for an interview, and it's 1980. It's not even... And there's no MTV in 1980. It's just, uh, it's me crazy. You know, it, that's just me. I don't know if that's just me because I know way too much and it bothers me and it's not going to bother other people. But for the purposes of this podcast, I had to get that out. I mean, it's going to bother some people, you know, especially fans of the band. Yeah. And I, I, I remember I never talked to anyone in the movies. Very rarely do I even lean over and say anything. But I was like, why would they? I'm telling my wife, why would they do this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that seems particularly like. Unnecessarily and egregiously bad. That one, I, I just. And then finally, I just said, you know what? If Roger Taylor and, and Brian May said it's better to tell the story this way, we'd rather be playing Fat Bottom Girls on stage because it's better than anything on the first record. It, or we want to put it on Somebody the soundtrack. Somebody talked him into it. You think Someone so? talked him into it because we could have it on the soundtrack if we put Fat Bottom Girls in there. Nah, somebody talked those guys into that. It's, it's certainly not their idea to do it that way. Right. They may have approved of everything, but they didn't write it. Right. You know, and, I, of course, they conflate the stories because it's a great story that Brian May brought We Will Rock You because he said, listen, every time we play, Freddie is great with the crowd, getting them involved. I want to write a song where the crowd is part of the song. I want them to all go. Yeah. And that's how they wrote the song. So they recreate it. But why would they do it with Freddie in his 1982 mustache? Come on, that's like five years after the song is. I'm sure there's people out there going, "Calm down, Campion." It's. <laughs> well, I avoid this by rarely seeing music movies. Although that's one I've been wanting to see because I, I love Rami Malek and I love Queen, and I've heard that his performance is kind of outrageously oh, good. Oh, it's so good. He's um, so good. So I, that I, I have been wanting to see it for that reason, but and not wanting to see it for the other reason, which is that oh god, that shit annoys the crap out of me. Uh. It does. I know it's a geeky complaint, but I did bring it up because right before we went to tape, uh, you, me, and Zoe were talking about the greatness of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and, and the wonderful job by uh, that actor, Canadian actor Kirby doing Lenny Bruce. Everyone's fantastic on that show, but I just wrote about it in my column this week 
uh, about how really I mean it's truly a resurrection of that character. He he embodies the character. He's not doing an imitation. He's not he's not. Uh, it, it's a fantastic job by him, and it really lends a great uh, cultural landscape for the character, uh, the Mrs. Maisel character within New York City and the comic. Uh, period then in 1958 and without a spoiler alert the series ends with Lenny doing his appearance on the Steve Allen show and then I watched the Steve Allen on YouTube and it's just it's a stunning achievement by that actor fantastic but Malik is just as good in this film I there's many times you just forget that it's an actor and that's a great compliment yeah he was I, I would not not recommend people seeing the movie because I am a big Queen fan but it just uh, it just killed my sensibilities as a as a music journalist. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like you can, uh, artistic license is perfectly fine if it helps the story, but trying to be insulting about it. If you're going to tell a story of a band, then it is the story of how they became what they became. And that means that work they did when they're 30 something is not the same as work they did when they're 20. You know what I mean? And, And like mixing those two things and reversing them in a way is, you know, that's, that's not the progression of that band. And that, that's a little insulting to me, you know, that coming on their first U.S. tour and playing Fat Bottom Girls, which is such late career stuff to me. Uh, yes, and by the way, many Queen fans who love the progressive, because I listened to Queen, the first Queen album, last night, and that is a prog rock masterwork. But that's not the band they were by jazz. By jazz, they're doing Bicycle Girls and they're doing – they had changed when they did Night at the Opera, when they did Bohemian Rhapsody, the song. That's when they became this band that would do anything. But those first couple of Queen albums are balls out prog rock. And Whoa. by the time they're doing Bicycle Girls in a way, that's almost an ironic commentary on like what we did with Bohemian Rhapsody and those stuff. And at that point, they're like almost like – I feel like they're kind of ironically laughing a little bit at the fact that they've done this other stuff. Right. And some of the stuff you know, on, on uh, 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 Night at the Opera. Um, which is why it's just ah oh, well anyway so screw it <laughs> so um, that's my complaint at the top of the show so now to the music um, but yes I, so that's my uh, but the, you know listen decide for yourself by the way I did see a trailer they're doing an Elton John biopic you know yeah it's uh, it's that guy um, Ed- Egerton uh, Karen what's his name he, he's in uh, the Kingsman movies hmm. uh, something Egerton he, he looks familiar uh is it Karan or Karen Egerton? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back with that. It's, it's that guy. It's, I, I like that actor. Um, but he also did the movie on Eddie the Eagle. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Uh, what is his name? He's, and he's in the new Robin Hood, which does not look good to me. Mm. It, did you see Spider-Man yet? Is that out? The Sp- is there a Spider-Man that's coming out? Like no. a cartoon Spider-Man? Oh, movie? yes. Into the Spider-Verse, which, by the way, gets nothing but rave reviews. They focus on Miles Morales in that, which is he was the, the second sort of ultimate Spider-Man character. is a young black Puerto Rican kid in New York City who becomes Spider-Man after Peter Parker dies. Um, and uh, uh, this is the first sort of thing that's focusing on him, which I think is very cool. So this is separate than the Avengers franchise. This is a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm saying it's different. This character, this whole thing is not in that. I know it's a cartoon, but that's how they separate it. Like, because the character of Spider Man is in the Avengers now, and it's this young kid, like, right, it's a different kid. That's Peter Parker. Right, before Peter Parker dies. That's a, well, that, Peter Parker only died in the Ultimate Universe, which was a sort of a different universe that, that Marvel had stuff coming out in for a while. Oh, okay, so it was, yeah, sort of, it was a way to re, reintroduce, like, 
all these characters that they, they started with Ultimate Spider-Man and it began the story again because the, the you know the Spider-Man story is about a young kid. Right. And but 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 after 20, 30, 40 years of this, yeah. Peter Parker is an adult in the comics. You know, he's a full-grown adult in his late 20s, you know. Uh so And he marries Mary Jane. In the Ultimate comics, they went back and started him back in high school again and told it told the story again a different way. Uh, and they're great. They're really well written. It's a chance to tell a real young kid's story and really tell it, like, in detail. I don't think we see him in the Spider-Man costume until the sixth issue, maybe? Uh, anyways, they did that. Then they went back with uh, the X-Men after that and started that story over in a different way. And it's hmm. really well told for a while. Uh, then they went back and did uh, the Avengers. They called them the Ultimates. Now, that Avengers story that they were telling in the Ultimates is very close to what Marvel decided to do. Nick Fury's black in that and looks just like Samuel Jackson. Is based on Samuel Jackson, right, right. which they ended up then turning around again and using Samuel Jackson in the movies. The Ultimate characters are based in a lot of ways, some of them, especially the Tony Stark character on and the Nick Fury character on the Ultimate version of it. Not all of it, not completely, but some parts of it are. And that was really good, too, for a bit. Uh, and then they do Fantastic Four, and that's not as good, I didn't think. They can um, never it's good for Fantastic a little bit. Four. The comic's good for a little bit. Uh, the Spider-Man comic is good all the way out to the end. It's just great all the way through. X-Men runs for a while really, really good, and then it's not as good. Uh, the Fantastic Four was went off the rails pretty quickly to me. It starts off good and goes off the rails pretty quickly. Then this is a short run, right? This is like well, Black Knight? it's about Knight. 10 or 10 years, 10 or 15 years. Oh, okay. And then about that. five years ago... They collapsed that universe in a sort of collapsing universe story into the regular Marvel universe. Ah. And having done that, Miles Morales becomes a part of the regular Marvel universe. You know, so um, I don't know if they'll ever show him in the movies in the MCU, but who knows? Uh, that this got way geekier than I wanted to. I was going to go to music right away. <laughs> but but wait a minute um, though. Last thing: Have you seen the trailer for the Avengers? The yeah, those teaser I saw. It. I yeah, have not seen really it. Yet. Cool. Uh, it's not. There's nothing in it, really. It's just sort of uh, like, nothing new in it, or very little. It's just you know, everything's bad and people are stranded places. And what are we going to do? Pretty you know, devastating. I remember you saying uh, it. It's, yeah. it's, it looks great to me. I um, did eventually see that movie, and it is quite devastating. <laughs> um, uh, yes. So to the music. Yes. So I, you know, in, in talking about all those bands we saw last week, uh, Sunflower Bean, and then a couple of days later on Tuesday, uh, on the Tuesday we saw Gang of Use, and then uh, I think Phoebe. Wednesday night or th- we saw um, Phoebe Bridgers. But I forgot that the first thing we went to see was a few days before Sunflower Bean, like the Wednesday or the Thursday before that. Uh, we went to see Adam Melcher play, who's uh, oh, right. I a saw guy you. that Z showed me, who's a really good singer-songwriter and we went to see him play at Rockwood with Sean Barna and man he was really good he, he was great and we talked to him afterwards um, a, a really nice guy too but he played he had just released a new single that day or the day before I think it was that afternoon though he had just released it and it's a really good song I want to play it for you uh, this guy he's a really good guitar player and he I guess he's opera trained you'd never know it from his singing he doesn't sound like that at all um, but, you know, my warm-ups are basically opera warm-ups, but I just don't sing that way, and neither does he. But he, you can tell he's got a lot of vocal control, though. He can really sing. Um, but he also knows what to do with it. Uh, anyways, this is his uh, single he had just released that day. Uh, so it's a, two weeks ago now, um, three weeks ago. Real Estate by Adam Melcher.
I still find your hair in my bed, in my clothes, in my mouth, in my nose, oh no. If you'll still be there when it's all said and done, or if I'll just find less from now on. Every time I wonder how I very sweet there's a fragility about that song and the way he sings that is just so touching you know reminds me a little bit of nick drake but not as english it's got a it's got a classic folk picking style there that really adds to the way he sings that and he goes into the falsetto it's really beautifully sung yeah Yeah, i really like that yeah yeah it's really nice there's another song that that was the first one that kind of really knocked me out 
I want to play. That was called, Real Estate? That's called Real Estate. This is called Brook Revisited. It's a sadder song. It's not quite as poppy as that one, but it's from an earlier EP he made called The Archer. Um, check this one out. This is Brook Revisited. Three, four. <laughs>
that's a great song. Really nice. Everything that it's just so intimate. Again, fragile. When he goes to that falsetto, it's woo. It's, yeah, isn't that cool? It really, really cool. I love that sound. I love the picking. I'm just uh, even without the singing in there, I could just listen to him play that that progression over and over again. The way he's playing it, I like the sound of it too. Just enough echo on there. It sounds like he's in a hall. A little bit of a you know, there's a, just enough reverb on there to make it still intimate, but sound it makes it sweeter. It might the guitarist, you can hear his hand sliding around. Yeah. I actually like that sound. I love that. Um, that first verse, too. Have you ever seen someone with dream catchers for teeth? <laughs> Islands in their eyes and fire in their speech. Hair grown like the willow tree and water running in their name. And so how could you blame? You know, like, oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, quite a group of lines there, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's a beautiful song. Uh, that one really knocks me out by him. Um I wanted to play his first single, but that's the one that I first heard that really went when I went, whoa. That's just from last year. It's not like a particularly old thing. It's the He's only done like I think that EP and a couple other songs here and there. Um, Is he from New York? Yeah. Or Jersey right over the river. I think he said he's from... Is he from Brooklyn? He's right around here somewhere. Hmm. Yeah. He lives in L.A. now. Just moved out there. Got sort of picked up. Just... Uh, an indie label I think that's good good for him yeah he's very talented another guy that we stumbled upon looking th- I mean just it's been like sifting through all these great music looking for people for the festival um, this guy uh, Raylan Baxter stumbled upon who is uh, his dad's Bucky Baxter who played he was the pedal steel player for the Dukes Steve Earle and the Dukes oh. all the early Steve Earle records and then he was in Ryan Adams band for a while too uh, I remember him being around then. I, I never met his son, Raylan, but Raylan looks like he's in his like late twenties now. That period, and he's made this really cool kind of a Americana rock and roll record. And I'm gonna play a few songs from it. The record's called Wide Awake. It's just this year, pretty recently, I think it came out. Actually, this is a strange American dream. Hey baby, hey baby, maybe I was born sick. On top of the world Maybe the whole gang is better off Making money out fighting a war Terminal motion Keeps spinning me around Temporary devotion in a rowdy crowd Well I was sure that everything was going fine Until you took the shot and killed me with your mind I'm a man and I want to be honest I'm better than I used to be Tastes like blood 
Look at all of the sensitive people Screaming from the yards Oh, and my neighbor down the street With the pretty face and the rubber jaw Has plenty there to eat But she don't share nothing at all harmonies in that very Beatlesque. Yeah, I was gonna say he has a thing going on. It's it's not it's it's like derived from sort of the Beatle maniacs we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Maybe even more than the Beatles in some ways. It's got right, like right. a bad lot of finger. that sort of like uh, yeah, Badfinger or Emmett Rose. The guys playing with uh, what's that band that plays with uh, Brian Wilson? The le- uh, Baby Lemonade, is that like... Uh, oh, the ones that toured Smile? Yeah, they toured Smile. Yeah, 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 so yeah. Some of those guys, like Jellyfish and... Sure. That's exactly right, Jellyfish. Yeah, that's yeah. why I love Jellyfish so much, at least that one record. It's got some really creative stuff going on in there. For, yeah. It seems like it's a country rock song at first, but it's got a lot more to it than that. So his dad's the steel guitar player. The yeah. steel lap. Yeah, okay. So he's the songwriter, singer for this band. He's playing guitar, I assume. I'm just gonna I, I don't really know. I'm not sure about... I could find out. The piano more. is really good. So he might even... He's a piano player is really good in that. Uh, yeah, it sounds more British than uh, any kind of country style at all. It does start off that way. Um, I thought that's where it was going. And then you're right. Then it just t- kind of turned into this kind of English-sounding pop record. 
but it, that I think it was like maybe two or three lines in when they start doing that that great harmony that reminded me of John and Paul. Kind of brought the song into that direction. But yeah, I love that chorus. You know, with with all those harmonies. I want to play another song by him because this is the, that's the first song on the record. Uh, this is the second song. It's called Casanova, and this is the one that really knocked me out when I heard it. Raylan Baxter from the album Wide Awake in 2018, Casanova. Um.
that's a tour de force right there. There's a lot of stuff going on in there. That's a really good band. And that piano player is spectacular. Yeah, how great is that? Really great. I mean, it's a boogie-woogie style, but it's it's part of the song, but it's also soloing in the song. It's great. It's kind of what you know, the guitar player would do in a lot of uh, bands, go off and do, you know something cool and then come back to the to the you know straight rhythm of it and the piano player's kind of doing that with this yeah he's running a lot of like dissonant stuff across it yeah too. yeah it seems like it's gonna start off in the key and then he'll go somewhere dissonant just like crash it and then come back in a little while later yeah yeah like i said it's it's kind of what a you know a guitar player might do uh, we were talking about honeyman scott from uh from the Pretenders last week, uh, you know, he would do that a lot. He would go off in this, you know, then just ease back into the, uh, um, into the song. And, um, yeah, it's got that uh, very much that sound that we were talking about um, of all those different bands that kind of, the Beatlemaniac bands that really captured the, not only the musical aspects and the songwriting and the production and the performance of those bands, but really the, the essence of it, the way those songs were put together in the mid to late 60s when pop and rock were conflating to create something new. And uh, that's, that song is, uh, I could see where that would draw you in completely. It's a great song. And, and a great performance. I just want to say, it's not only the song is really good. It's a nice song. So is the first one. But that one, the whole performance of it was really good. Yeah, I really like that. I think that guy's really talented. The whole record's good. The whole record's, it's, it's reminding me of somebody else, though, and I can't figure out who it is right now. It's not, it's not McCartney. It's like, it's Lennon in some ways, but it's not Lennon. It's, uh, who's the other guy that's their friend that, uh... Oh, Nielsen? Harry Nielsen? Yes. That's who that song reminds me of. Money. Yes. All I am. It's got that kind of, like, ironic sort One of, uh, is the loneliest. Like, kind of... You know, he's like got that kind of detached sort of irony that, that Harry Nielsen has, too. Humor and the vocal, you know, it's... It's funny you That's what it that. reminds me of that a little bit more. It's so funny you mentioned that. You know, a couple of months ago, I was totally down a rabbit hole with uh, Harry Nielsen. Uh, he has a box set out that covers a lot of stuff that never came out. Harry, uh, notoriously, never toured. He just was a studio cat. He was very shy, super shy. He never wanted to tour. He had a TV special, I think, in the early 70s. And uh, Immer and I were going back and forth. And, uh, we, were, we were texting on uh, And he was like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's a dangerous place to go because you can get deep into that. And it's true. Um, that kind of sound, that kind of tongue-in-cheek. Now, again, I wasn't following the lyrics there. Although he's singing something about back in the hole. Something that I'm in or something I was catching there. I don't know what he's Yeah, back saying. to the hole. He's like uh, – Back to the hole. He's saying uh, the chorus is uh, – well, the pre-chorus is – I got a real bad feeling I'm going to let her down. Got a hole in my pocket. I'm running around, spending all of her money on drugs and things to keep my mind from running. And then the chorus is back to the hole that I came from, back to the hole that I came from, mm. and I don't ever want to go back. Mm. Mm. Um, That's good. Yeah, I like that. Very confessional. But, um, yeah, I'd say, but, but aside from the lyrics or the style, yeah, I think well, absolutely um, that's the kind of thing that, that would have attracted John and Paul, the people to be on Apple, like a lot of the bands that first joined Apple. We mentioned Band Figure, of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, I like them a lot. Yeah. And what year was this that this came out? 2018. Oh, wow. So brand new stuff. Yeah. Brand new record. Yeah. Um, so you were talking, you know, the other day, just take a break from Underwater Sunshine for a second. You were, we talked a lot about Emmett Rhodes the other day, and yes. you called me up 
because you had some revelation about Emmett Rhodes. Now, what was what were you talking about? So when we were doing the show, and I it just bugged the hell out of me that I couldn't remember why I knew Emmett Rhodes. And you know, I, we talked about the Live and on the first Bangles album, but that really wasn't doing it for me. And I, and I remember just saying in passing, it must be in the background of a movie somehow. And then I don't know why. It's just one of those things, man. This show opens up so many things. Somebody brought up a Wes Anderson film. And I was trying to explain how great the music is in Wes Anderson movies. Specifically, the triumphant for me of Rushmore, The Royal Tannenbaums, and Life Aquatic. In all three of those movies, he plays a lot of mid to late 60s pop music, but not rote stuff. Even when he plays the Stones, he's playing like She Smiled Sweetly from Between the Buttons. You know, he's playing a kink song that nobody has heard that's like a deep, deep cup, but it just reeks of that kind of sound. He's just, and then of course, in, in, um, Later on in Tannenbaum's, he plays, you know, Elliot Smith and Nick Drake, these really sad songwriters with, these, with, this, with this sort of uh, solemnity to it. All of that is happening, and I'm going down, and I see Lullaby, Emmett Rhodes, <laughs> right in the smack in the middle of this whole thing. Which, which on which? Uh... It's on the Royal Tannenbaum soundtrack. Now, that. Oh. Now, he ends, he ends Rushmore with uh, Ooh La La. Correct. That's that's what I always really remember when I, my first introduction to Faces. Wes Anderson was the and it was Rushmore, and uh, he ended it with Ooh La La. And is that why they, now you guys covered that on years the and years later? But years yeah, later. it's one of the reasons I loved that song was yes. because uh, it, it I hadn't heard it in years when he did it with that movie. So right in the middle of Royal Tannenbaum's, he plays this Emmett Rhodes song. Yes. Now I've got to go back. I was going to watch the film. Today, but then I came. I didn't have time this morning because I wanted to talk about where it places. But I remember how much Erin and I loved that song. I put it on one of her yoga um, uh, mixes, and I was like, "Oh, that's right." And there's su- such beautiful. Not all that 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 soundtrack is not widely available. You could see what's on there. I don't know. They had two different soundtracks. One because the Stones wouldn't let them put it on the the two songs. They uh, uh, Ruby Tuesday is on it, and something else. There's also a, a wonderful orchestral version of Hey Jude that opens the film when the kid goes up to the uh, to the roof and he lets the, the pigeons go. He, you know, he's, he's training the pigeons. First of all, I love Royal Tannenbaums and I love the way Wes Anderson uses this. And, and I didn't even mention how he uses the music in Life Aquatic. He uses all the David Bowie stuff, the late 60s, early 70s David yeah, Bowie yeah. stuff. And so he's... Including that- some of it uh, in the movie, uh, no, there's no Bowie in the movie. No. There's, it's all sung in Brazilian by yes. uh, the guy. I can't remember his name. Yes, is. and he's on the soundtrack, although they do end with Queen Bitch ends the film when he's walking with right, the kid right. on his shoulder. And, and I, I just love the use of that kind of music. And bang, right in the middle of all was Emmett Rhodes. Here's another one for you. So two days – first of all, I want to make this point. Before we talked about Emmett Rhodes and played that stuff, you had not heard really about him about a week before you were played it. I had not. I thought I didn't, except for this song and then, of course, the Live song. But I'm on this this radio show on WDHA called All Mixed Up last Sunday. Uh, Jim Monahan, a longtime DJ for WNEW, goes back. I go on. I, I listen to my, my uh, interview. I, I had taped it earlier. I listened to it, and I kept the radio on. <laughs> Don't you know he plays Live by the Bangles, comes on afterwards and goes... That's a song by Emmett Rhodes, one of my favorite songwriters of all time. His first album is in my top ten. And I'm like, are you shitting me? Right after you came off the air with him. Right off the air. So then I don't even mention it. So I, I text him and I, or I email him and I said, I said, Jim, you would not believe this. This week we're playing 
half a podcast about Emmett Rose. He's goes, you're kidding me. Like, I had never even heard the name Emmett Rose once. And within six days, the, our podcast, that and then, bang, the, the mention of Royal Tannenbaums and the song Lullaby. Incredible. Incredible. How has that even happened? That's insane. <laughs> he, he says it's one of his top ten favorite albums of all time. And this guy has been a uh, rock and roll New York, New Jersey DJ from like the 80s, early 80s. And so this is a guy who, who knows his shit. And what, when he said Emmett Rhodes, I just couldn't even – on the air. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, holy shit, he's playing to Live by the Bangles. But it just, you know, it's something you might play. And then he comes on the air and says, hey, that's Live by the Bangles, but it's a song by Emmett Rose, one of my favorite songwriters. His first album is my favorite. <laughs> amazing. That is amazing, man. What a, what a connection. I have no idea. So Lullaby, which is, by the way, off that first album. Same album we were, it's also on that album. Same uh, album we were playing. You got to send me, did you send me the whole record? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, I will, though. God, it's so good. Anyways, this is Lullaby by Emmett Rhodes from the first album, Emmett Rhodes. And the Royal Tenenbaums film. Yes. Tears and angels cry And the dark and all the sky When the one you love says goodbye Tears and angels cry Sing a lullaby Sing it soft and only sigh When the one you love says goodbye Sing a lullaby A short little ditty by Emmett Rhodes reminds me. That is so Paul, though. Uh, oh yeah, and, but and it even has that Her Majesty quick. You know, it's a real quick, just one verse really, and a chorus, and then that huge echo with it. But he starts going la 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 la. It takes me right into McCartney Hill. <laughs> that's that's really wild. Yeah, just Emmett Rhodes. It's just who knew. We need to get Emmett Rhodes to play the Underwood <laughs> Festival. Yeah. Hey, Barb. Yeah. Where is he? Where um, is he? He must be somewhere out west because, I mean, he just made that record. Try and track him down. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm glad well, we I, actually resurrected him as well because uh, that stuff is too good to not know it exists. I agree completely. Did you get the other? You, you were waiting on a couple other things to come uh, in. Yeah. Some of them came in. I didn't get a chance to listen to them oh, yet, okay. though. Yeah. Um, so I want to play. You know, let's try something completely different right now. Uh, my friend Aurora, who was in the band Mean Creek, she was the guitar for oh, Mean Creek. Yes. She was touring last year with a great band called Beach Slang, a New York band, too. And uh, they actually opened for Dashboard Confessional. And we went over to Brooklyn Steel and saw them play. But I just got into some beach slang stuff, and they're doing a really interesting thing. But I want to play you a couple songs by them. Yes, they're, please. They're doing some cool stuff. I got a huge crush on her. And this is <laughs> – let me play you this. This is Noisy Heaven by Beach Slang from their album in 2015, which was called uh, The Things We Do to Find People Who Feel Like Us, which is a great title for an album. <laughs> really is. This is Beach Slang, Noisy Heaven. 
That song, the night is alive, it's loud, and I'm drunk. <laughs> Kissing a mic and singing about us. The songs that I make, I barely rehearse them. The hardly mistakes, they're meant to be honest. I'm way out of tune, turned up to 11, floating around this noisy heaven. Most of the words get stuck in my mouth, but I mean all the ones that punch their way out. Our heads are blurry, our hearts are sharp things. I bet on you to make me nervous, to stay dangerous. The night is alive, it's loud, and I'm drunk. <laughs> that's a fucking great song to mm. me you know that's like and you know underneath all that Nerf definitely been listening to some replacements Yo. I mean they have definitely been listening to some replacements Yeah, but like they're going a cool place that's a great lyric you know I, I really anything that reflects the replacements is okay with me and it's, I, I think it's great too that that Spinal Tap meme has always that trope there from that film has always lasted. <laughs> this, th- but this one goes up to eleven. <laughs> Why don't you just yeah. make ten the loudest? And um, I, 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 oh, there's an. He writes these songs that are very like. <clears throat> I mean, not everyone's up to that, and some of them sound a lot like each other. But some of them are really cool. And the, there's one called "Future Mixtape for the Art Kids," and it's the lyric <laughs> is "Play it loud, play it fast, play me something that will always last." 
Play it tough, play it quiet, play me something that might save my life. We're not lost, we are dying in style. We're not fucked, we are fucking alive. I hope I never die. Stick your heart on your sleeve. If it breaks, stitch it onto me. Bash it back into shape. You might be cracked, but I won't let you break. We're not lost, we are dying in style. We're not fucked, we are fucking alive. I hope you never die. A generation waits to bleed. For broken kids no one needs. There is heaven in these streets. There is heaven in these streets. I'm with you. Are you with me? We're not lost. We are dying in style. We're not fucked. We are fucking alive. Mm, mm. You know, I remember a few years ago after having to listen to this for 40 years plus, Pete Townsend finally said, you know, when I wrote I Hope I Die Before I Get Old, I didn't mean physically die. I don't want to ever be stale. I never want to give up hope or dreams or the the passion of rock and roll and what I felt when I was 19, 20, 21. And that's, that kind of reflects that there, I think. Uh, he even mentions generation in there because from the song My Generation about how I don't, you know, you never, you're never going to die if you don't allow yourself to just wither away and not care anymore about, you know. I think he's saying in this one, we're going to play it next. Yeah. Say something real. Say something that really matters that to matters. you. Don't just, yes, don't mail it in. If you're gonna if you're gonna do this, do it, and do it like your life depends on it. Let's so check it out. This is Future Mixtape for the Art Kids from their next album, 2016. Another great title. Their 2016's album, A Loud Bash of Teenage Feelings. <laughs> Future Mixtape for the Art Kids from Beach Slang. Play it loud, play it fast. Play me something that will always last. Style 
That's an interesting vocal. Yeah, he's doing a, a, like a Richard Butler thing from Psychedelic Furs there too, kind of. Yeah, he is. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's it almost gets into Black Flag there for, but it's I, you know, it's just a really a wall of guitar sound there. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm going through these things for a reason this way because I want to show you some stuff. They do a very interesting thing in this band. On that first of those two albums, the things we do to find people who like, who feel like us. Mm-hmm. There's this one song called "Too Late to Die Young," in which they take an entirely different approach than those other two, which is what the other two are. What a lot more of those records sound like, mm-hmm. but this is very different. And I, I want to play it for you. This is called "Too Late to Die Young." Too young to die. Too late to die young. I try to fight. Get high and give up I ain't ever fell love I ain't ever fell love The punks are wired And these records feel tough It's loud and wild But I swear it feels soft It's always enough It's always been enough This honest day In these neon lights We're animals Drunk and alive I swear You know, in 2015, they make this album, The Things We Do to Find People Who Feel Like Us, which mostly sounds like Noisy Heaven, that first thing we sound. And, but it has that one song on it that's different. It's like that. Um, and it's really cool. Mm. You know? And then they make, you know, in 2016, they make a loud bash for Teenage Feelings, which had a future mixtape for the art kids on it. And then he makes a record called, what's it called? Dead End Babies? and uh, It's called We Were Babies and We Were Dirt Bags. It's just a little <laughs> EP in 2017. With a couple songs from those two records done like that. And instead of calling it beach slang, he calls it quiet slang. And then this year, 
he made another record called Every, Everything Matters But No One Is Listening. And it is, uh, again, it's beach slang, but, but he started calling it quiet slang. And a lot of the guitars have been replaced by strings, cellos, and pianos. And he redoes a lot of the songs from the first two or three records huh. that way. Hence and, quiet. And so this is the first song we heard, Noisy Heaven, which is from that first record. But it's the new record this year, Everything Matters But Nobody's Listening. And this is what Noisy Heaven sounds like on the Quiet Slang record. The night is alive, it's loud and I'm drunk Kissing a mic and singing about us The songs that I make, I barely rehearse them They're hardly mistakes, they're meant to be honest You know what I had to do during that song? Is I had to send it to my niece Claire, who loves emo music <laughs> and loves anything sad like that. Or, you know, it's just, and so I just sent it to her and I wrote, What's the rating on this? Because she is going to love that. I mean, I wonder if the whole record is like that because he's just completely shifted this balls out rock and roll in your face to, to something that sounds like. I don't know what. I, 
Yeah, the whole record's like that. And it's a lot of rethinking of his other songs from other records. They're all, it's all, the original EP that we were babies and we were dirtbags is like two songs. I think it might be that one and one other one. And then they cover Androgynous by The Replacements and 13 by uh, Big Star. And then this album, Everything Matters But No One Is Listening, is entirely that. That kind of stuff. Uh, I was, you know, future mixtape for the art kids is on there too. They just do all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's that just really so interesting cool, to take man. a completely different take oh, on yes. their songs, huh? I mean, it's like, but I mean, completely. I mean, it, that the melody, the strength of that melody comes out. You know, this is I'm not saying anything new here. I, and you you interview dozens of songwriters the way I've have over the years and have played in songwriting. If you can play a song with just the piano or just acoustic guitar and the melody's strong, it should carry it. It should carry the day. Now, that melody was good in the rock version, but it completely lost in my mind. But now it just flourishes here. It's not like he made it more flowery or changed it. He just took all the noise out and just sang the damn song. And, of course, putting the beautiful string arrangement behind it. Helps. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a whole different thing of doing it. Uh Totally. And I really liked it. Funny, the one song that's not as good on this record, I think they're all cool. I yeah. like them on both versions, is the Too Late to Die Young song, which is already kind of that way. And I think this version is a different arrangement of it, and I don't like it as much. But everything <laughs> else is really cool on there. I, I was blown away by, uh, by the stuff he did. Now, did he did – he, this, this is an interesting question for you. Did he strip everything out – because it seemed like that's what he did with that song. He stripped everything out of there, acoustic and piano, and then the string arrangements. Now, I know when you guys did the Storytellers and you have done other things, reimagined your song, restructured them, rewrote them almost in an acoustic way. Did he do that here? Or it seems like he's just taking all the bombast out of it and presenting the song in a quieter... I think he's probably resung it too. I don't know. But he's done some different stuff with it. I mean, that's a very different way of looking at the song. And no the, question, it, it, they're all new vocals and stuff too because the songs had different lengths. Oh yeah, I'm not saying he yeah. ripped everything out of there and yeah. now you just hear him say, no, no, he clearly is singing this again. I mean, when he first started that, I'm like, oh my God, this sounds like Peter Gabriel. This sounds like... Really, I mean, yeah. his and he doesn't really show that kind of vocal elasticity, except for in the acoustic song that you played. Well, it's there. It's just it's under a lot of guitars. It's there, right? Yeah. But it's it's being yeah. He's he's buried within the structure of and and well, those as guitars are awesome too. Oh, I they love are. those guitars. Me too. I'm not saying that. Yeah. What I'm saying though that that is better. Oh, I don't know about better. It's very, I, but I like what I love better. about it is how different it is. But you can see the hints of it because it's exactly what he's doing on Too Late to Die Young. It's that same re, like re- a song that it has an acoustic guitar on it. Right. It has uh, the cellos and the strings, mm-hmm. and it has piano. You know, and and he's it's a beautiful song and on the, the so on the great. earlier of the two records. You know, right. It's on the same record as Noisy Heaven. He's got and and but you can see that like he's been thinking about this, and then he decides, oh, I'm just gonna do a whole record that way. Yeah, a great idea. Yeah, it's very cool, isn't it? It's just a really great melody. And it it comes out, I guess it just comes out more to the fore in this format, which you know it, it un, is understandable when it's you know you're rocking and you're you're really getting into the rhythm of it and the strength of it and the guitars that wall wall of guitars. It's hard to strip that out of there. It does exist because it's in there. I mean, he hasn't changed the yeah. melody. Yeah. I, I mean, I like them both a lot. I don't I don't have a one or the other. I like more, but I because I I love those guitars, but. It's interesting that he's t- decided to do them to redo all these same songs 
a completely different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like quiet slang. It's very clever. They're very cle- He's very clever with the wording and the, the titles yeah. of his albums and everything. It's a, there's, a, there's a humor there that's, uh, that's not lost on us, obviously. So it's great. Yeah. Uh, one of the other records that I just like discovered going through all this stuff is uh, this album called Yoke in the Fur by a band called Wild Pink. And it's really cool, too. I think they're from around here as well, or Philadelphia, maybe. I, I have to check that out while we're playing some stuff. But Which, uh, by the way, Slang is a Philly band. I just saw... I yeah, they're a they're Philadelphia yeah. band, too. Yeah. Um, but uh, I want to play you this song. This is the title song off this album, and it's a little bit of an epic. But uh, this is Wild Pink, Yoke in the Fur. And I'm curious what you think of this. <laughs> okay. This just came out this year.
There's, f- I count four songs in that, four separate songs. In yeah, that song. isn't that wild? It's 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 maybe not a great way to introduce them because it's not the catchy thing. But there's, but each part is catchy. There's something very fascinating going on in that construction of that song, and the I don't know where he's going with it. I just like the imagery of it just kind of flows, runs past me. You know, you have the lyrics there. Yeah, because. Uh, I, would you gonna read some of it? Gonna well, just the, the middle verse where he's like, it, "You had so much anger, and now you're turning it around." This is the beginning. To Kingston, by way of Puerto Rico, you were homing in on some planets because they wrapped you up tight in a disposable life, 
Yeah, they ate your lunch and sold you dinner on credit. You're changing the path of your life. You're changing the path of your life. When you lose your life, you don't even know it's gone until you come face to face with a wolf and see the yoke in the fur. I'm changing the path of my life. I'm changing the path of my life. I'm changing the path of my life. When we sing along with Jackson and you hold your notes a little long to let me know that you are with me, I'm with you. I'm with you. You think the game is a waste. Put your dreams to the grave. Being late ain't no waste. So I'll put some skin in the game. 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 In, I think it was 1966 or 67, not to go back to Townsend for a second, but Kit Lambert, the Who's manager, went to Pete and said, you know what you should do? You should write like a mini opera. And this is prior to Tommy. And he said, what? I can't. What? And he's like, I got a better idea. Why don't you just write four or five songs and tie them together? And he did. And he called it, which is my favorite Who's song, a quick one while he's away. And it's so weird, too, because that's what – I wasn't really sure lyrically what – how he tied this together, but it seemed like there's he could have gotten four really good melodic, cool songs, but he decided to put it in aptly um, uh, previewed by you in an epic. I mean, this is an epic in in every sense of the word because it's going not not unlike what McCartney did with um, you know uh, Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey, where he he takes like four or five really cool melodic songs and jams them into one thing. I'm not really sure that even follows the storyline the way Townsend tried to, but that's what is going on in here. I've never, aside from those two examples, and maybe there's others, but I have never heard anything like this. Where I mean, it's different in prog rock where they make songs go on for 11 minutes and different styles and different things come in and out, like Rush or anything like that. But this is like three or four really cool little pop songs. Tied together? Does he tie it together as a story, or is it just different imagery? It's I, I don't know. And he's doing an interesting thing in there, like he talked about the Who, but he's quoting that the Baba O'Reilly chord, yes, riff. You know, the yeah. that happens in the middle there, right in the middle, just for a few seconds after a couple different lines. That happens. I wonder what the Jackson he's talking about. Maybe I don't know. Could be Michael. Could be Brown. Who knows? You know, so cool. could be a friend of theirs. I don't know. Uh, I want to play one more song with him too. Yes, it's called please. The song Burger Hill. I, w- I just want to go through the lyrics because he, he he's writing this stuff. He's also got it's it's epic on that song, but understated. Like he's not he's singing it closer to Death Cab for Cutie than he is to anything else. It's, oh, it's very you. it's very quiet. Um, yeah, that's it was still dark. One. It was still snowing. We were the only ones in a prenatal snow globe. When our time's up, we'll carry on like smoke after the fire's gone. From the top of Burger Hill, I see smoke that leaves through the chimneys. The world is untouched and set free the way it was meant to be. I woke up too fast from a dream, and I'm running with me. Outside, the moonlight catches the ice. Like clay, it tricks the eye. When our time comes, we'll pass through like the wind blows through the trees. From the top of Burger Hill, I see smoke that leaves through the chimneys. The world is untouched and set free the way it was meant to be. A hill the size of the steps you'll take in a lifetime. That's the end of the song. I love that last line. A hill the size of the steps you'll take in a lifetime. Hmm. Uh, but uh, check this out. This is her very interesting band. I think the singer's name, the writer's name is John Ross. Uh, and this is Burger Hill. I think this is the first song on the record. 
uh, I moved them over to this playlist for the show, but uh, this is Burger Hill by Wild Pink from Yoke in the Fur. <laughs>
like that song even better, honestly. That's a great song, man. I liked it from the. Ve- I love that uh, guitar part. I love that. Uh, I immediately thought of the beats, uh, save it for later, but uh, I like how it goes. Then it just goes in another direction, but I love that guitar part. That riff is so enticing to me. I love it. You know, it's it's simple, but it's not. And um, that's a great song. Yeah, they're they're very interesting, and this album is too. It's like it's almost dreamlike. It's it's mm. uh, and and the lyrics too are are. <clears throat> it's like he's mentioning thoughts that are passing through his head, and they're connected in some way. But it's hard to like just grasp exactly what the thrust of the song is and sum it up easily. But he's the the phrases keep running by me as they're saying them and. They have all this imagistic kind of like impressions they make on me. It, it, this record really kind of knocked me out in some ways. It, I, I wasn't sure what to make of it though. I wanted to play it today because I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts because I honestly just wasn't sure what to make of it. It's I, I really it, liked it. It makes perfect sense that you would get that because the, the music is ethereal, so the lyric works perfectly off that. It's it's like he's floating in this netherworld between uh, understand between dreamlike. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like these those moments right before you fall asleep. You know, you're kind of semi-conscious, and that's how what that evokes to me. You know, uh, that song is really good, though. I mean, beyond all the things we're saying about it, I mean, just on a pure level of the way the band is playing it and the way it's recorded, it's really good. I mean, that first thing you played, when it opens up, it kind of has like this Brian Edo thing. Then it goes into another section. You know, of course, that was a much bigger, quote-unquote, epic, but this one... Yeah, I like this a lot, a lot. I really do. Yeah, it knocked me out and a half. Um, so uh, good picks today. Let's play. Let's play. You want to talk about Matt a little bit? Yes. Before we close out the podcast, I did want to mention that uh, Matt Sutrich, as you mentioned to me, I guess two weeks ago, or you had put it out on social media that he had uh, a couple of new songs when Matt was on the show here at the uh, when he did the garden sessions for the Underwater Sunshine Festival, he said that how he likes to approach it now is to release a couple of songs every couple of months. Um, you know, let them sit. People kind of gestate on them and figure them out and listen and then go on. for the- So he re- he's been releasing them in like three-song clusters. My favorite song of these, and I, I, I tweeted about it, was uh, which Beach Town. And I, and I love it because it's got such a Long Island slash New Jersey feel to it. And I, I like – and I'm, I'm – don't have the lyrics in front of me. I'm paraphrasing now, but I love how he says, you know, when you when you go to a beach town, what do you do when it's not beach weather? <laughs> what do you do when it's not summer? We moved out here for a reason, but now we're here in the winter out at the beach. And, and he writes about, can we afford this? Can we? I love that, the imagery that he has in it. But but above all that, like we were just talking about with this, this last song, uh, it's just a great song. I love this song. This is Beach Town, brand new. Well, two weeks ago, maybe. Matt Susich. I see a sidewalk six inches off the ground I see fools in the faces of the new friends I have found And all it takes is a high horse for someone to look down on you And all you need is a few feet for a different point of view I see traffic 
flowing up over the bridge Waves cresting and descending upon all the hip kids And all you need is a high point to see the low for what it is And all it takes is a highway to get away from it And how much are you willing to spend Yeah, how much And are you willing Do I move to a beach town for the beach all year round? Do I move to a beach town for that sweet ocean sound? And if I move, what will I do when the beach town gets me down? Yeah, how much and am I willing? aspect to it yeah it's when really, it's supposed to woo, just the, the echo he's put on it it, does, it doesn't sound like some of the other ones too it's he's got this whole there's a real sadness to that empty beach town yep and where do you go when even the beach town lets you down the first time that we uh, it's like just after new year's the first year we were touring um We've been opening for Suede and the Cranberries, a little bit of Midnight Oil we opened for, uh, and then we opened for Cracker for a while, and then we you know, got off for Christmas, I guess for a week or two, and we went back out in January, um, played Saturday Night Live, and headlined for a couple weeks before we went back out opening for Cracker again, just in January of that year, like the, from like the 10th to you know 20 something and then we went back to touring with Cracker um, and it was, they were the first real headline gigs we'd ever done on tour in clubs around here 
and one of them was uh, Super Bowl Sunday in Asbury Park Stone Pony um, and it was a really really cold winter in 1994 uh, there was freezing rain everywhere oh, slash like, snow that year it was insane like yeah. it was dangerous to be out in uh, especially in vans like we were um, but I'll never forget like getting to Asbury Park it was the first time I'd ever played there and you know it's a legendary place it was one of the clubs on my list you know First Avenue in Minneapolis Prince came out of there the uh, the 40 Watt Club in Athens the R.E.M. the uh, yeah R.E.M. and the B-52's yeah. uh, Pylon also uh, like the Whiskey in L.A. Uh, and we got to Asbury Park you know and you know this is a famous place the whole town you know the boardwalk, the all the the setting for all those Springsteen songs, and it's and it's January, it's winter, and it was the day. It was, must have been Saturday night when we got there, and it was just empty, you know, because it's a it's a it's a boardwalk town, and it's it's a and it's a boardwalk town that that died anyways in those years. He's he's writing about that in '75 in Born to Run that it's dying, you know, and he's and they've leave. built that back up since then. But yeah, back yeah. when you went there, but in '94, that not big so much. giant, what used to be the train, whatever the the big that big building now they make it like a like especially on this time they make a big Christmas thing up. But that was dead. I mean, dead then. And the Stone Pony is like right behind that, isn't it? It's like, but in any case, it was just like yeah, the Stone Pony was right so there. cool and beautiful and sad though, like yeah. this. This beach town, the setting for so many famous stories and songs, desolate. Because it's also sad, you know, it's like, it's the middle of the night when we get in there and it's just like desolate. And the next day it's Sunday and it's Super Bowl, so no one's going out anyways. They're all at home if they're watching it. Uh, and we're, We played that night, but it's just like, I mean, there must have been people there because the, the, the show was packed and sold out. But... It was really wild to be there and like see, you know, the the town having I don't know, it was really it's it's stuck in my brain forever since then. Syracuse is a lot like that when school's out. Yeah. Go downtown, if the school's not in, pizzerias are empty, the bars are slow. It's it's a very you know, as my wife's from there, but you know, when you go up there in the summer and school's not in the kids are not there, and it just kills all the local. It's just like this. It's a ghost town, and but it's especially depressing when you're at the beach because there's snow on the beach and on the boardwalk, and it's freezing, and you just it's it's even more cold because the wind's whipping off the Atlantic. Yeah. Do you want to uh, end with Eric Idle? It will come out the day after, I guess. But okay, if we're ever going to do it, you might as well do. You as well say do something it. About I actually, it? in my mind, I actually pictured if we were going to play this, it would be the last thing we'd play. Well, then today's we the perfect to, day for that. Yeah, I think we should. Um, I was actually going to ask you if you wanted to do it because I think, the, the, yeah, this is the day after Christmas because we're doing It'll two be weeks. It'll be 26th when this 26th, comes out. 26th, yeah. right. Um, I just, in all honesty, the things that it, – this is just classic Eric Idle, and, I lo- and he's such a great songwriter. He really is. And um, I've always been a big fan of this song from when I heard it years ago. But there's a rhyme in this song. <laughs> I'm not going to give it away. But it's just so perfect. And um, anyway, if you're familiar with Eric Idle, he's uh, from, of course, Body Python. He went on to play the Paul McCartney character in his brilliant mockumentary, The Ruddles, uh, which he wrote a lot of those songs uh, with Neil Innes, who plays the John Lennon character in that. 
And uh, he wrote, you know, uh, the darkly beautiful look on the bright side of life from the end of um, Life of Brian, where they're all being crucified. <laughs> look on the bright side of life. Then they're whistling. That wide shot of them all crucified, whistling with their heads bobbing back and forth. Always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is the Eric Idol of which we speak. And... Um, this is his Christmas song, so I guess we'll leave you with this. Uh, What's the rhyme? Oh, go tell the elves. The elves, the end one at the end of the song. <laughs> go tell the elves, yeah. When you hear go tell the elves, just, just uh, it's the very end of the song. So, uh, yes. yeah, so I was wondering if that's what it was. Okay, so uh, let's Happy just, holidays, everyone. Happy holidays, really, everyone, and uh, we will see you again. In 2019, it looks like. Well, we'll you know, actually, Do we yeah, have one well, more? Uh, we'll see, it's the 26th. Yeah, I guess the next one will the be... The day after, yeah. Day. You know, congratulations, pal. We did a whole year of this. Yeah, more than that. But we started in December, but the entire 2018 has oh, that's been right, it is. underwater sunshine. Yeah, we started... We eventually, You and I started in December. We recorded the now infamous five episodes that no one heard. But the January... It's right in the beginning of January, isn't it? The first one, so it'll be... Yeah, right. That's true. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you, for, thank you for spending a year with underwater sunshine. Yeah. Um, thank you. And this is our parting gift to you. <laughs> <laughs> we made almost everything because this would be what was it was it 44 this would be 45 40, this would be 46, 46 47 yeah we missed two weeks well no it, it, out of 52 we would miss four or five in the end because we missed a few at the end of tour too we just like yeah I guess yeah, yeah. we took uh, a few we, off right when I got back too because we were I couldn't remember we couldn't get in here and we couldn't do a few we but furiously we did, tried I mean we did, we did 47 46 out of 52 so uh, Thank you for listening. Seriously, the show's yeah, grown. Thank all of you. And uh, thank you for coming up with the idea, man. Well, um, you're welcome. And thank you for doing it with me. I will follow. You know, and let's, in an absolute cascade of congratulating ourselves, let's just say I hope you all had a great Christmas. Yes. And this will come out the day afterwards. And I hope you have a great New Year's. And we will see you again in 2019. This has been the Underwater Sunshine Podcast. I'm Adam. That's James. Peace, everyone. Late. Fuck Christmas It's a waste of fucking time Fuck Santa He's just out to get your dime Fuck Holly and fuck Ivy And fuck all that mistletoe White-bearded, big, fat bastards Ringing bells wherever you go And bloated men in shopping malls All going ho, ho, ho It's fucking Christmas time again Fuck Christmas It's a fucking Disney show Fuck reindeer and all that fucking snow Fuck Carols and fuck Rudolph And his stupid fucking nose Fucking sleigh bells tinkling Everywhere your fucking goes Fuck stockings and fuck shopping It just drives us all insane Go tell the elves to fuck themselves It's Christmas time again 
You sentimental bastards. <laughs>